It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of First Down Snapcast. I'm your host, Richard Butler. Joining us tonight is offensive former NFL player Larry Lee from joining us from America. How are you doing, Larry? I'm great, man. How about you, Rich? Um, all good. All good. It's pre-football season, so it's starting anticipation starting to build. Obviously, camps are coming back now, so it's getting exciting. Yeah, yeah. People are uh, you know, that's America's favorite pastime. They say baseball, but I don't think so. No, I, I say I watch baseball, but it's not the same. It's, no, it's not. there's only one sport which does it, and that's why it's only on one part of the year. And it's like it's been expanded this year, but normally it's regularly 16 weeks pure yeah. action because you can only play once a week, not like in ice hockey and basketball where you play multiple days. The players literally, it's yeah. that physical one game a week's enough. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, so you went to UCLA College. What was it like moving from Ohio to California at a young age? Was it a bit of a big jump? It, it wasn't actually so bad for me because um, I have an older brother who was 16 years older than I am. And um, he uh, just upped and left Dayton, Ohio and went to, went to L.A., you know, um, years before so I went out to visit him a time or two and so I was already kind of acclimated to LA and so when it was time to make my decision our father was um was uh sick and had had a heart attack so we were we were thinking about or trying to make a family move from Ohio get him out of the winters and and go to LA and make a family move but uh he passed away right after I signed to go to UCLA. So it never really materialized. But 
what a great place to go to school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a, a big difference from Ohio. But yeah, like, yeah. When you go to college and stuff over here, they're all pretty much the same, but it's such a big so America's so big when yeah. foot, like people are going to college it's big jumps it's like one minute you come in a small town and next minute you're in the California or New York it's such a big difference in America yeah, yeah. like I said I uh, I was fortunate to have gone out there a time or two so it wasn't like totally unfamiliar <laughs> to me yeah so obviously a few years at UCLA obviously got into the draft for 1980 you were drafted in the fifth round by Detroit. Were you, we always ask this to players, and I think our players always say, I should have gone higher. Or, and it depends on obviously how long you've played that position and stuff in college. Um, were you happy when you went in the fifth round? Were you glad just to make it? Like, because obviously it's such a small percentage. I, I, I was happy that I got drafted, but once again, I did think that I was <laughs> going to go sooner. Um, you know, some of the coaches from some of the teams had told me that, you know, Larry, we're, you know, we're probably, if you're not gone near the uh, end of the first round, we're going to look at you in the second, you know, maybe let third round at the latest. And it just seems like when those rounds were happening, they were taking a lot of um, guys other than offensive linemen. And so when they finally got around to taking offensive linemen, pretty heavily that seemed to be like the fifth round so but you know overall yes I was I was happy to be drafted and uh you know and back then it was uh, 12 rounds so being drafted in the fifth round you know it wasn't so bad out of 12. You know? Yeah I was just gonna say it's not like the draft's not like the glitz and glam it is nowadays you've got obviously we have opening night but then oh, all yeah. the rounds are crammed whereas back then they were even more crammed Exactly, man. It's it's a it's a big spectacle, you know. So, I've experienced it both uh, as a player and as an executive, you know. And I've seen it just just change, man. Yeah, just change totally. Yeah. yeah. So you were drafted down to over to Detroit. So obviously, not the warmest places, but it's rich football heritage there. I was reading you made your debut for Detroit. I don't think you started the game, but it was against the 49ers in front of 63,000 in the Pontiac Dome. That must have been amazing. Because I know college football is big attendances, but the atmosphere inside the Dome must have been electric. Yeah, and you know, the Silver Dome at the time, I forget exactly where it was, it was ranked, but it, it actually could hold 80,000, 90,000. And I think that uh, we sold out a lot of, you know, home game. So most of the time there were 80, 90,000 people there. And, uh, you know, once again, fortunately, UCLA, Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood, glitz and glamour kind of just had me all, you know, was prepared for all the, the big life and that kind of thing. So, you know, the, they, some of us UCLA guys believe that because we, we were out there that we're just a more well-rounded kind of guy just because, you know, we, we've experienced Hollywood and stars and celebrities and, and et cetera. A lot of them UCLA alumni used to come around us all the time, you know, and, and come to our games. And, and so, you know, coming to Detroit really wasn't bad for me either because 
you know, Dayton, Ohio. I think the uh, my hometown, I think uh, Detroit might even be the second or third closest team to my hometown, you know, with the Bengals and then the Browns and then Detroit, I think. So, so it was a chance to get close to home without being home and all the other things that come with being at home, you know, yeah. and uh, so it, it, it worked out well for me. It worked out well. Yeah. Um, when you were drafted, obviously, when, when you arrive at, new, at the NFL, we know there's a jump from college to the NFL. Was there any players when you first arrived in Detroit and think you went, just start to stand back and go, wow, I'm actually part of this now? Yeah, I remember my rookie year, preseason, we played the Raiders. And, uh, you know, I wasn't in awe or anything in training camp with the Lions, but I just remember, I think it was the second preseason game, and I'm into the game, and I, I start that game for some reason, and uh, I look across, you know, and there's Lyle Alzado and John Matuzak, you know, and uh, uh, some of the other, you know, historical Raiders, and I go, okay, I guess I'm in the NFL now, <laughs> you know. Look, there's John Matuzak, and I'm going to break the huddle and go try to block, you know, uh, block these guys, you know, as an <laughs> offensive lineman. So that was my uh, eye-opening moment, you know. I, and actually, I went against Lyle Alzado that day, you know, and that's the first, you know, that 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 was my eye-opening experience. Fortunately, it was preseason, and they were old veterans, and, you know, I don't think they were, were balls out. Anything you kid on block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm the new – <laughs> I remember during that game, our left tackle went down toward one of their, their knees or something. And Lyle Alzado says to me, you know, in between, hey, tell that tell that kid that, you know, this is preseason. You stay the F away from my legs, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing or something like that. And I never forgot that. But that, that was my eye-opening moment. Yeah. Um, I was saying about that, the move from college to the NFL. How much of a jump is it in difference – from coming from college and obviously no, people say it's some big jump, but is it that big? Well, I, for some, I see where it could be, but you know, if you, if you're a D one player, division one player playing at Oklahoma, Ohio state, Michigan, UCLA, you know, SC or, you know, any of those schools, Texas, you, and you, and you were a pretty good player. And you, you know, you might have been a two, three, four year starter. The way I looked at it was I'm just playing against a few guys that I've already played against that were just a few years older than me that went to the league, you know, before I did. So I, you know, I wasn't cocky or anything, but I just had a self-confidence that it wasn't that big of a jump, you know, um, just coming from D1, you know, playing playing uh and then playing in the league so uh you know it but I could see for some you know maybe the small school guys or or something where you know there might be a moment where they're in all but but once you get on the field man it's football it's football and and physically um the, the other thing I noticed is the game at the professional level was just so much faster you know um in college, you, you still might run into a, 
a guy that isn't that good or something, but in the league, everybody's good, you know, and the older they play, the more they know, you know, and so they become, they become skilled guys playing the game. And so you become a skilled guy. And, and that's the difference. Just you ever hear quarterbacks always say the game finally slowed down for them. You know, that that's what they're talking about where, they got to make these reads and, and then, 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 then all of a sudden, you know, they get comfortable and they start noticing things and, and the game starts slowing down mentally for them. So the game is a, it's a fast game on that level. Yeah, definitely a fast paced game. Um, so obviously arriving in Detroit and we all know Detroit's famous for two things, obviously and football as well, but obviously cars and the music. Yeah. Now, I've got a question, but obviously we'll come back to it later on in the interview. But when you first got to Detroit, what was your first car you got once you were able to drive? Was it Ford? What did the players get any preferential from Ford? Uh, well, you know, back then we were making nowhere near the yeah. money that these guys <laughs> are making now. I was a fifth round draft choice. And I signed, I had a $20,000 signing bonus and my three years, I signed a three-year deal at 40, 50, $60,000. So the first thing I did, I did buy a car, but I bought a used, this was in 81. I bought a 79 uh, Cadillac, two-door Cadillac uh, uh, DeVille, you know, and uh, I did buy that and I bought my mom a car. And I uh, uh, bought my mom some furniture, you know, because I told you my dad had just passed yeah. away kind of thing. So I bought my mom some furniture and a car and I, I, I stretched that $20,000 as far as I could. And uh, yeah, so that was, that, I did, uh, I grew up around cars actually. So a car wasn't, um, you know, crazy for me. My dad was a mechanic. He had his own garage and body shop where he worked on cars. And I grew up around him doing that. I used to help him work on cars. So I kind of, uh, uh, and my older brother, the one that was in LA was a general manager of a car dealership, you know, um, during my collegiate days out there and everything. So, you know, a car was okay for me, but it wasn't like this super duper thing. Mm -hmm. I, I found a nice uh, 79 clean uh, uh, Cadillac that I bought and that was, that was my car, my my rookie year. Excellent. Um, as a Detroit player, and you learn the rivalries and stuff, who was Detroit's biggest rival at the time when you were there? Was it Chicago, as it is still sort of now, or was it? Yeah, Green it Bay? was. It was Chicago. You know, the black and blue um, division. You know, Green Bay, Chicago, Minnesota. You know, we were, but the the Chicago Bears uh, rivalry. Lions rivalry was probably the most uh, in that league. And, and uh, you know, the Bears were building, uh, building up to that 85 team, you know, but uh, seems like several guys from my draft class got drafted by the Bears. You know, Jay Hilgenberg uh, was the center. He came out in my draft class. Uh, Jeff Van Horn, uh, left tackle, Mike Singletary, you know, Todd Bell, some of those Bears were all draft classmates of mine. So got to know them well. And, uh, 
Yeah, so I, I, w- I would say Chicago was, was the, the biggest rivalry. Yeah, yeah we, we did an NFC North show last week with some fans from the UK, like Lions and Bears. And you could uh-huh. just you could cut the atmosphere between <laughs> oh, the where the Packers fan and the Vikings fan. Even though everyone hated on the Packers, you could just tell the atmosphere between the Lions and Bears. It was there, which was good yeah, to see. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was intense. You know, the old black and blue division, as they call it. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more narrow than it used to be, but hopefully it'll change this season. Um, within in your three years in Detroit, did any games stand out to you as a Sure. You know, we, um, uh, 1983, my third year, I spent five years in Detroit. Then I went to the Dolphins and the Broncos for two each. Um, but my third year in the, uh, league, you know, I was a starter and we played the Steelers on Monday night football. And man, we were, we were just, you know, back in the day, you know, you did not want to play the Lions on Thanksgiving. That's just the way it used to be. It's not that way anymore. But if we if we did anything right, most of the time it, it, it was right, you know, at the Thanksgiving game. So we played the Steelers and um, and we beat them actually 45 to three. And but I remember before the game, you know, how uh, the different news writers would write you know, the pregame stuff. And, and I'll never forget, there was an article that said, you know, one of the pregame matchups that everyone needed to watch or key in on was Larry Lee versus Jack Lambert, you know? So I'm saying to myself, okay, you know, that that was pretty neat, you know, maybe I've, I've arrived, you know? (laughs) So I became one of the key figures and that game stands out. Uh, There are others. Um, you know, like I said, whenever we played the Bears, but uh, that was probably one of my more most notable memories uh, about playing with the Lions. Yeah, I got to say in the UK, obviously Thanksgiving, it's we obviously don't celebrate as much, but football is a big part of it, and that's one thing we get used to. And again, we get to see Lions. It's normally Lions and Cowboys are on every Thanksgiving, which is great to yeah. see. And again, yeah. it's Lions and Bears this year, which is great. Yeah, and then. Uh, you know, when we when we won the division and we went out and played the 49ers in the first round, you know, the, the, the famous field goal, the miss, and that whole game, those two games kind of stand out more so than any any of them. Monday night football, a couple of Monday night games stand out in my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I think the um, Thanksgiving one does sound like it's uh, to, be, to be built up in that media coverage of how... It, the games are built up by the media to have your name mentioned now and it's not a quarterback or a running back. It does make you feel like, yeah, damn, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was, was pretty neat, yeah. But I had to live up to it because he, he was Jack Lambert, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it wasn't just some run at mill. It was definitely a match-up. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, yeah, you mentioned your five years in Detroit. Halfway through the last then five years, you moved to Miami. Um, how did... Was this a, like a known thing going to happen or how did it come No, about? what happened was um, after our fourth year, we didn't have a good season and Monty Clark, our head coach, uh, got fired. And um, Daryl Rogers came in. They had hired Daryl Rogers from Arizona State. And so Daryl Rogers, um, I come to find out, uh, was hated UCLA. 
<laughs> and what happened was, uh, you know, my in 84, my fourth year, and then going into my fifth year when Daryl Rogers became the coach, my mom was terminally ill at that time. So I, um, I, I wasn't here for the off season much, and I was tending to my mom because she was terminally ill. So I called Coach Rogers one day and said, hey, uh, hey, I know you're the new coach and everything. Uh, I'm Larry, one of your players. Uh, I'm not there because my mom is term- terminally ill. So when, when uh, you know, the worst happens, um, uh, I'll be back. And But I'm working out. You know, I've had the strength coach send me the workout, et cetera. And he says, Larry Lee, Larry Lee from UCLA? I said, yeah, that's me, coach. He said, uh, he said, man, I don't mean anything by this, but your coach, Terry Donahue, uh, tried to turn me in for illegal recruiting one year. And I said, okay. He says, uh, you know, like I said, I don't mean anything. So UCLA is kind of like, you know, four-letter word to me. He said that to me, right? And I said, well, coach, I'm going into my fifth year in the league. I love UCLA, but, you know, I've I'm, I moved on. I'm, I'm a five-year veteran in the league. And, oh, well, Larry, I didn't mean anything, but I was just sharing that old story with you. <laughs> and I remember telling my wife uh, at the time, I said, uh, I think I'm going to have trouble out of this guy, you know. So I come to training camp. I'm Larry Lee. I do what I've always done, how I've always done it you know, was good enough for Monty Clark. For, for, but everything I did for Daryl Rogers was wrong. Just seems like I could not please him. So he releases me at the end of, uh, the, you know, the last cut. So now about six or seven teams are calling me, wanting me to uh, come take a visit, and they, they're interested in signing me. And he calls me right back like the, that night. Hey, Larry, I made a mistake, man. Don't don't sign anywhere. We want you back, please, man. You know, come on back. I made a mistake. So I re-signed with the Lions. I didn't go elsewhere. And then so we, 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 we were going into the season. I start the first five or six games or so. And I walk in on a Monday, uh, like like the sixth game or so, and and I, I'm cut, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he, he, I'll go you know, start her to the waiver wire. And so I'm puzzled. But, you know, I kind of, you know, it, it was just par for the course with that guy. Right. Yeah. So so I get cut that evening and, I, you know, I go to bed and five o'clock in the morning. The next morning, I get a call from Monty Clark, our old head coach that had gotten fired. Well, you know, he was a long time. Don Shula assistant who coached all those Hall of Fame guys like Larry Little and Kuchenberg and all those guys. Well, Monty calls me and says, hey, Larry, man, what happened? I said, coach, that guy just didn't like me, man. I I don't know for whatever reason. I think it goes back to a UCLA thing or something, but, you know, he's kind of weird. Well, he says, hey, I called Coach Shula and told him all about you, and they're going to claim you off waivers. So go down there and make me proud. And that's how I got to Miami. And uh, when I walked in the door, first thing Don Shula says to me is, Larry, you know, I I obviously think the world of Monty Clark. He's my great O-line coach. He thinks very highly of you. You you got some big shoes to live up to kind of thing. And I I said, well, Coach, thanks for the opportunity. And so I, I spent 
two years in Miami and, you know, occasional starter, you know, that kind of thing, play with Marino and the whole group and all those guys. And so it was really cool. So, yep, I, I did two good years in Miami. And we're in training camp going into the third year. And Shula walks up to me and he says, Larry, um, you know, the Broncos, somebody at the Broncos really like likes you. And uh, they're, they're willing to offer us a, like a third round pick for you. And so I'm going to trade you to the Broncos. And I said, okay. So, <laughs> so I, I get traded right at, at mid training camp to the Broncos. And when I get there, I found out it was Alex Gibbs, the old longtime offensive and line coach for the Broncos who coached at Ohio state, who was the coach at Ohio state when I came out of high school. So, you know, I was on all the Ohio, all state teams and, you know, all, all American teams and that kind of thing. So Alex, you know, when I got to Denver, first thing Alex said, are you still the Larry Lee? I remember from Dayton, Ohio. And I, I said, yeah, just a little, little bigger, you know, but yeah, a little <laughs> older, but yeah, he said, he said that he was the one that convinced Dan Reeves, the head coach, to trade for me. And uh, that, that's how I got to Denver. And, uh, you know, ended up uh, playing a lot in Denver. And uh, like I said, I was a guard that could play center. I started occasionally at center uh, on all two of the teams, not the Dolphins, because we had a Hall of Fame center in Dwight Stevenson down there. So didn't have to play center at all. No. But I started some games at center in Detroit. And when I got to Denver, uh, the starting center, Billy Bryant, got hurt. And so I started at center uh, with, with, with uh, the Broncos. And so, you know, just got in. And, and uh, so after two years there, I went to the Super Bowl with him, Super Bowl 22. Um, you know, now I'm in my ninth year, you know, and it's a possibility you could get cut, you know, in your ninth year, et cetera. And that's exactly what happened Uh Dan Reeves, you know, and said, hey, Larry, just, you know, we're, we're going to go younger and that whole thing. But that's right when Mike Shanahan left. He was our offensive coordinator in Denver, and he goes to the Raiders. So Mike calls me in and says, Larry, I need a veteran offensive lineman that knows our system. So I went to camp that year with the Raiders, and it was the year that they drafted Steve Wisniewski uh, first round. So I kind of knew, you know, he was their first round guy. I'm an old nine year guy, but uh, you know, I started all four preseason games, and I was cool as the old veteran working with Wisniewski and showed him some tricks of the trade and yeah. all of that. And then uh, at the end, the last cut, Mike brings me in and says that you know Al Davis was had decided to go on a youth movement. So he cut guys like Jimmy Giles, myself. Uh, there were a few other older, you know, older guys that uh, Al cut. And Mike offers me a chance to stick around as a, you know, assistant O-line coach to Art Shell. And I, uh, but I was knee deep in a, in a Ford Motor Company dealer development program. So I, um, I came on back to Detroit and, and gotten and finished up the dealer program. So you know, I could have had a chance maybe to go into coaching, you know, but, but I, I didn't. So that's my, that's my football career. It's, um, it's amazing how connections, how it, how it all worked out for you with like the coaches 
in Detroit, we've got in the Miami links with Shula, and then obviously up to Denver with Ohio. It's it's like it went round in a circle for you. It panned yeah, out really yeah, well. Know, not what you know is who you know, I guess. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they, they all remembered you. That was the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So that that's that was my playing days, and kind of the same as we're probably going to uh, my latter years as well, my front office years. Yeah, um, I was just going to mention on the playing in Miami under Shula, what was was that just like amazing to play on such was, a coach? He was like your dad. You know, at the time, you know, you get mad at your dad for, for discipline you, disciplining you or, you know, just making, making it tough on you. But when you get away from him, you go, you know what? The old man was all right. You know, he just he just wanted the best out of us. And Shula knew how to he knew how to prick you to get you, you know, to get the most out of you. But one thing I tell a lot of people about Don Shula, from my point of view, one thing uh, he he enjoyed interaction with you. Good or bad. You know what I mean? Like uh, sometimes, you know, you interact with your coach and it's happy, happy, feel good, yeah. that kind of thing. But then there's times when, you know, you you, you want to argue with your coach. And Shula, you know, you could argue with Don Shula. You just better be right, you know, about <laughs> yeah. your argument, you know. But but he didn't mind. He didn't mind you, you know, getting back with him. You know, well, leave me the F alone or you know, you did that wrong. He didn't mind that so much. And, uh, you know, or he would accept it. I remember uh, after I'd gotten there, about three weeks later, uh, I run down. This is just a, a squad. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, you know, the cover squad, just uh, just getting ready for. So I run down on, and I pull my calf. And. Uh, before I know it, I'm limping off to the side. Before I know it, Shula is in my ear. God dang it, son. What the F you doing? You know, da, 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 you, we don't, you know, I don't need you to run down on kickoffs and the scout team. I want you to, I need you on Sunday. Da, 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 da. So he walks away and I had only been there maybe three weeks or so. And I go, okay, I guess, you know. I've been I'm, told. I'm, I, yeah, I'm officially <laughs> here. And then Dwight Stevenson comes up to me. He says, he really likes you. I said, huh? <laughs> he said, yeah, when, when he cusses you out like that or when he gets on your case like that, you, you mean something to him. He said, other than that, he won't spend, he won't waste that kind of energy on you. I said, wow, he's got a crazy way of showing it, you know, <laughs> but, but like I said, it's like your dad, you know, you, you know, you, he, he gets on you and everything, but when you get away from him, you go, he, the old man was okay. You know, yeah, he was good. For a reason. Yeah, exactly. It's a strange way of showing love, but it's for a reason. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously, finished in Denver, went off to uh, to the Raiders, and you finished your career. How did the role of the vice president in football operations come around at Detroit for you? Well, once again, um, when I was a player in Detroit, our team comptroller was a gentleman named Chuck Schmidt. Chuck Schmidt. Um, I can't even, I lived in Detroit during the off season. So I would come back and see all the Detroit people, you know, somewhere at a restaurant or 
et cetera, even though I was playing for the Dolphins. And, and they know deep down inside I, I should have still been a Lion, but Daryl Rogers, you know, didn't like me. So uh, what happened, uh, Chuck Schmidt, there was a new position coming around the league called player programs. It's now called player engagement. And I had just finished my career and I was, I was in, like I said, in the car business. And uh, Chuck Schmidt remembered me as a player and remember how I carried myself and knew that I was, you know, I had that personality. I'm, I'm a people person and, and the whole nine. And so he called me out of the blue and offered me a chance to interview for the player programs position. But, you know, he said, Larry, you know, just, just come up here. I got a, I got a, an assistant GM that I want to meet you. And that's kind of what the interview is about, but you know, pretty much, man, you're my favorite candidate. You're, you're my leading candidate. So, uh, you know, I, I do the interview with he and, and Michael Hugh is the gentleman who is now, who was the uh, general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguar. He left Detroit and went to the Jaguars. So uh, I'm in the front office now. I get hired as the player programs director and I'm doing pretty good. But because of my knowledge uh, in the automobile business, negotiating contracts and, and being general manager of a dealership, you know, I, I have manager, managerial skills. So what happened, Bill Ford Jr., the owner uh, who was running the team at the time, did a, a he hired a, a, a firm to come in and, and, you know, organizational specialists to try to see the most out of everybody and what they do and how well they do it and how the org chart should look and all that kind of thing. And what came out of that was that, I had a lot of talent and ability that they weren't utilizing and being a former player and an alumni, you know, there was a lot of good, happy, good feelings about me if I had moved up the ladder. So Bill Ford Jr. promoted me uh, to vice president after two years, I think. And, uh, and Chuck Schmidt, you know, went along with it. So I was handed all the operations, you know, team travel, training camp, uh, uh, the, the equipment guys, the video guys, all the operate day-to-day -day operations uh, to include salary cap and negotiations, you know, contract negotiations. Well, when I first went there, I was the player programs guy slash assistant pro personnel guy. And I was the assistant pro personnel guy to Kevin Colbert, who is the Steelers general manager now and like my best friend. So I crossed over from the personnel side to the administrative side, and I kind of swung between Ron Hughes, who was the player personnel vice president, and Chuck Schmidt, who was the general manager on the business side. So I did this, you know, which, which made me a great candidate, which gave me a lot of knowledge because in the NFL, most guys are all only personnel guys like the Kevin Colbert's, the Rick Spielman's, you know, of the world. Yeah. Or they're, they're the administrative guys like uh, Rich McKay in Atlanta, you know, like Chuck Schmidt was, like Rod Wood is here in Detroit. So I, I became very knowledgeable. And, and the third thing about my trifecta, I'm a former player. So I'm a rare bird. You know, I'm, you know, like I said, most guys ride one of the rails or the other one. I rode both rails 
and I'm a former player. So I'm very, yeah. very. Yeah, the pendulum you know, effect of going between. Yeah. And I got a lot of experience and things that, that, uh, that, you know, a lot of, not a lot of folks have. There are a lot of former players that are executives. There are a lot of executives, you know, that did the, but I don't think there are many uh, like myself that, that did both. A lot of the guys on the, on this side only did this side. I did both sides and being a former player. So I, I like to think I'm very valuable in that sense, you yeah, know, or rare, or rare. Viewed highly within the organization as well to get you back exactly. and to do that. Obviously, Which was a lot to do, and, and I, I, I got it done. You know, on one, on one hand, I'm, I'm still watching film, grading players and evaluating talent, and I'm in on the cuts, trades, transactions, free agency. And then on this side, I'm handling all the day-to-day operations and team travel and training camp I'm negotiating contracts and and salary cap so uh you know it made me well-rounded yeah and by any chance did you get to look after a special Barry Sanders at any point I'm sorry Barry Sanders oh yeah sure did you get to unique talent I spent nine years with Barry Sanders you know as an executive and I didn't like being up in the in the press box or the suite. So I liked being on the field. So I stood on the field for the nine years I was an executive. And so I got to see Barry Sanders firsthand. And he, he's, he's just amazing. He was amazing. And uh, I'm biased, but he's the best running back that ever played the game. I think his record still stands as having 1,300 scrimmage yards in every season he played, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he's... He was amazing and just a humble, awesome young man, you know, and uh, we still, you know, we still talk to this day and, and I had become, you know, kind of close with Barry and uh, we had, but at that, at that time too, though, the Detroit Lions, we were, we were a hot team and we had, we had about 10 or 11 all pros on, on the team, you know, uh, Herman Moore, uh, Barry Sanders, Kevin Glover, uh, uh, Lomas Brown, Chris Spielman, Benny Blades, uh, uh, Robert Porsche, uh, Jason Hansen, our kicker, Jim Arnold, our punter, David Sloan, our tight end, Stephen Boyd, our inside of all pro bowlers, you know, and we had Mel Gray, kick returner. Uh, we had a heck of a squad, man. We were it was you a good know, generation. Uh, yeah, we had we had a heck of a squad, and Detroit Lions were was a very talented team in that during that period. Yes, yeah, a very t- shame it obviously didn't get it further. But they always say there's swings and roundabouts, and obviously it looks like Detroit are restarting again, and hopefully they're on the path yeah. now to the going yeah, back well, to where they were. I don't know how how in depth you, you're you're going, but you know I'm a member of Fritz Pollard Alliance now um, as the director of business development, and that's what I'm doing now to help uh, diversity and inclusion throughout the league with Rod Graves, and uh, Brad Holmes was tutored by Rod Graves and Fritz Pollard Alliance, and so he's there now, and I have lent my support to him. However, he needs me if he needs me, you know, and uh, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Still, Detroit is obviously Detroit came over to the England, England, and it's their still their game against Atlanta, and the comeback is still probably one of the best games I've witnessed in person. 
Yeah, I remember uh, my during my front office days, we played a preseason game over there against the Dallas Cowboys. And um, I was in the front office. One of the greatest lines I ever remember, you know, we practiced against the Cowboys all week over there. And then, you know, the game was uh, Saturday night, if I remember. And one day before practice, we're just standing around and Leon Lett walks up to Barry and he picks Barry, puts his arms around Barry and he picks him up like this and shakes him and put him down. And, and so Barry goes, you know, what was that about? He said, I just want to know what that feels like to wrap you up because I'll never be able to do it live <laughs> and in the game. And so one of the classic lines I remember about that trip, you know, but I was an executive, but we, we played against the cat. We, we, we had a preseason game against the Cowboys over in London, Wembley. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it was nice. It's we am- stayed at the uh, Intercontinental downtown. And I think it was right next door to Hard Rock or right across the street from Hard Rock or something yeah, at that time. I think it is at the time. Yeah. It's obviously it's grown so much since that preseason game oh, over in yeah. the UK. And yeah. hopefully Detroit will be back in future years. You know what else I remember about that? I'm a bass guitar player. I have a 10-piece band. And in Piccadilly Circle, there was this young man playing the bass guitar. He was one of the most phenomenal bass guitar players I've ever seen in my life. So obviously, maybe he was a musician that played with somebody or something, maybe down on his luck or something. But, you know, he was playing for 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 coins or for for, you know, for money. And this dude was amazing. I never, I don't remember, didn't get a name or anything, but I donated. But oh, this dude, I, I'll never forget that man. He he was absolutely awesome. Yeah, we get there is a lot of us musicians start like that. Uh, yeah. So you touched on to my next. So in two thousand two, you yeah. founded the group Love of Funk. Was it being back in the day? Was formed in two thousand two. Your group based yeah. on the Love of Funk music. Was this something what you always wanted to do? Yeah, you know, I, if, if anyone looks at the history of, of Dayton, Ohio, they'll realize uh, that Dayton, Ohio is the land of funk. There was eight, nine, uh, eight or nine groups, bands out of Dayton Nash that made it national with national hits like the Ohio Players and Lakeside who had Fantastic Voyage you know, uh, Roger Troutman and Zap more bounce to the ounce. All that stuff are groups out of Dayton, Ohio. So the Ohio players around 1972 had made it. You know, they, they had their number one hit out. So all of us kids behind them wanted to be like the Ohio players. And, and man, I remember, I tell this story all the time. In sixth grade, I started doing two things playing football and the bass guitar. I'm 61 years old, and those two things have made a great life for me. You know, I've done some other things, but, but uh, you know, football, you know, come playing and being coming an executive, et cetera, and bass player that uh, has my own, I have my own band. I've, I've had it for like 19 years now, but I've also played, you know, with others, uh, I became good friends with Aretha Franklin, you know, and played some bass for her and, uh, you know, became the, 
the alt backup bass player for a few groups. And, you know, my band, uh, very, we're a very popular um, uh, cover band. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I started doing two things in sixth grade and I'm 61 and, and I'm still around them both, but they both have made a, a great life for me. I, I love my, love my bass guitar. No, it's a lovely story. And I also saw that you were won a musician of the year award in 2006. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was, yeah you know, I, you know, just being humble, I, I'm, I'm a rare bird, man. Uh, <laughs> I, re- I remember when the lions let me go in the front office, I went to get my, I was going to become an NFL agent. So I went to take the test and that's when Gene Upshaw was the president of the players association at the time. And he came up to me, he said, Larry, you know, you, you are a rare bird. And I said, yeah, he says, well, man, look, you know, there, once again, there are a ton of players that, you know, become executives. There's a ton of, you know, there's some executive guys that did this, that he said, but you know, there's, I don't think there are any, former players that you know have played in a Super Bowl became a you know an executive with the team and has shared stages with George Clinton and Chaka Khan and <laughs> and you know Morris Day in the time and and etc I said yeah you know I've been blessed and you know I I think about my band has we've actually been a headliner over some of those one hit and wonder type bands because we're We've been blessed, you know, we're 10 pieces, horns, you know, vocalists, everything, drums, bass, guitar, the whole, we're a 10 piece band. And, and that's why I named it back in the day, because I wanted to um, have that flavor of the Tower of Powers, the Earth, Wind and Fires, the Ohio Players, you know, all those bands, big bands with horns and everything. And when I started the band in the early 2000s, that wasn't popular because everybody was, you know, sequencing and, and, you know, using uh, 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 overdubbing on things and they weren't using live bands as tough, but I said, I'm going to stick to what I know and, and how I know how to do it. And, and uh, it came back around and now we have created a niche for ourselves because we're one of the few bands that can put it down like it's supposed to be live, you know, with yeah. live instrumentation and the big bands with the horns blazing and everything else, you know? So uh, I've, I've been, I love what I, I really haven't worked a day in my life between the two, the two occupations, you know? It's amazing to have heard your stories there, Larry, just before we finish. So with that blue blood running through you, what are your hopes going into this season for Detroit? Well, I don't expect a whole lot this year only because, you know, it's still being molded, you know, and um, there's, there's a lot of new folks out there that need to, to find each other and get to know each other on the field, upstairs and everything, you know. Um, so um, I, 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 I want to see cohesiveness. I want to see uh, – I want to see proactiveness. I want to see a change in, in mentality. Uh, you know, I, I want to see, I'm looking for those kind of things more so than wins and losses uh, this year. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep a, a very, very observant eye on 
on probably the behind the scenes stuff and yeah and you know all that kind of stuff to see if i who am i but to see you know if, if it's gelling like i think it should you know uh because i i got to know brad holmes because of the fritz pollard scenario and he is a very very bright sharp young man and uh you know he comes from the rams who you know have had some success went to the super bowl they have a lot of folks over there now. Uh, diversity and inclusion is 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 good over there now. They got former head coaches like Anthony Lynn over there. They got they got uh, a lot of uh, African Americans who are former players, and not just African Americans, but they got a lot of former players on their staff. Bill Fraley, you know, Dan Campbell, the head coach, is, is a former player. Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, is a former player. Anthony Lynn is a former player. So, you know, maybe those guys, uh, you know, and then you have Rod Wood and and Chris Spielman in the front office. So, you know, I, I want to see how and if all of that jails, you know. Yeah. And that's it. It doesn't have to be instant because the move they do with Stafford and Goff, they've effectively got two extra first round picks for the next two years. So, it's, yeah. it, they've made and with the draft they did very well in the draft this year so they've got good foundations laid and like you say if they can get all the back office and all the cohesions together it's yeah, a bright so future for Detroit let's see let's see if they they pull it all together you know um I like I said I, I've been blessed to experience downstairs and upstairs and it <laughs> it takes it all to be to be very successful you know it takes it all Oh, definitely. Well, Larry, I would love to thank you for your time and joining us tonight on the Snapcast. It's been a pleasure to hear your stories and your journey from Ohio through UCLA to the front office to your music band. It's been amazing. Thank you, man. I appreciate you reaching out and I'm glad we could pull this off. No, it's been amazing. Thank you very much. You got it. Take care now. Cheers. All thank right. you. Bye-bye. is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.